This episode is presented by MarketerHire.com. Are you struggling to find and hire great marketing talent? Try Marketer Hire. Marketer Hire makes it easy and quick to hire vetted marketing experts on an hourly, part-time, or full-time basis. They'll match you with the perfect marketer based on your needs and goals in as little as 48 hours. Stop spending months working with recruiters or sourcing marketing candidates on your own. Get started free at marketerhire.com. Hi, I'm Julie Wong, and I'm the CEO at Oloplex, and to me, it's a matter of technology. Leadership is hard to define, and good leadership is even harder. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. While there are more female CEOs in beauty today than there ever has been, men still dominate the C-suite and boardroom at least the biggest companies. The women who have managed to break through the glass ceiling to reach the top of the org chart are using their influence to pave the way for other females to follow in their footsteps. Jue Wong, CEO and executive board member of Olaplex is one of these women. She has a robust track record of scaling emerging brands and globalizing established ones. Considered a progressive executive capable of driving intrinsic change to increase value, she is a powerhouse that should not be defined by her gender. So, Joy, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much for having me. You're a titan in the business, Kelly, so I'm very fortunate. I finally made it to your podcast. <laughs> well, that is incredibly kind. Feeling is mutual here. It's an honor to have you. Let's just dive in. You are one of the most dynamic CEOs in the beauty industry, in my opinion. So I'm sure that there was no shortage of offers coming your way on a fairly regular basis. What was it about the Olaplex brand and business that made you take the helm? So thank you so much for that question, because first and foremost, I cannot claim full credit. I think you have heard me say this before. I have been very fortunate. I have always had great teams behind me, and at Olaplex is no exception. In fact, this team has taught me more than I can ever teach them. So I feel very fortunate, firstly. Secondly, why I was so interested with Oloplex, as you can imagine, I was already the CEO at Moroccan Oil. Oloplex was always on my radar because it was one of those brands that came in and took the market by storm. And when Advent International, who is also one of the world's largest private equity firm, also gave me a call and talked about their potential interest in Oloplex, I felt like the stars aligned and I was very interested to learn more. And then fast forward January 8, 2020, I joined them and I have never looked back. It is one of those brands where it's kind of really hard to recreate because it kind of came out of nowhere and then it was word of mouth and then it was everywhere. That doesn't happen very often. That's true. And the reason I think why Oloplex has such a long-staying power, and it seemed like success was overnight, was really first and foremost led by its technology and its science. As you have heard us continuously you know, sort of share in the investment community, we have well over 103 global patents that truly allows us to differentiate not only in terms of performance, but in delivery and in capturing the community's interest in staying with us. And what I find really, truly phenomenal about what Oloplex does is that it has all the equities of color cosmetics, meaning that visually you can see the difference in the very first use. 
but it has all of the equity of loyalty and longevity of skincare, where people, when they find a product that works for them, they stay with them. And when you have the power of the two, loyalty and visibility in terms of transformation, is a match made in heaven for social media. And that is why I think we have been able to capture the imagination of the stylists, of the end consumers, and as well as all of the retailers on and offline. So you joined Olaplex in January 2020, and three months later, the world as we know it disappeared. Crisis has a way of showing what real leadership is. And I was totally humbled by how quickly the professional side of the industry sort of closed ranks and took care of itself, not waiting for the government to step in, not waiting to see what might happen. I mean, it happened so fast. And I remember you graciously were on a webinar we had very early on in the pandemic to kind of get a touch base of what was happening in the professional side of the business. Your empathy for what they were going through was absolutely palpable. Given what we've experienced in the past couple years, what are the skills that you believe are critical to being an effective leader during moments of crisis? Again, thank you for that question, because it is very humbling as well for myself, because, you know, I am sitting in a position where I have a job, I have a team, I have the opportunity to make a difference. Meanwhile, on the other end, one of my main customer base, my main community for Oloplex they were struggling, right? You know, salons was closed. It was a service-driven industry. And therefore, I think as leaders come into crisis mode, depending on the circumstances, always realize who you are serving. And in our case, we were serving the professional community. And if you profess to serve them, then what are you going to do for them? And for us, it was very logical that whatever we can do, was to help them, you know, not to give them what I call charity, but really enable them to be better at what they do. And that was, you know, where we started the affiliate program, allowing them to really dive deep into their client book and have their clients, you know, really support them. And what was amazing to me was the clients were not asking for special discounts or special packages to buy into our product line, but they knew paying the full price was allowing their hairdressers and their stylists and their colorists to get a commission and a meaningful one at that. So I think whatever crisis comes your way as a leader or as a team, really focus on what is the best you can do in that moment in time and worry less about what it means in terms of press coverage or in terms of marketing. Because it's like anything, if your heart is in the right place, it really captures the imagination and the support of the people that you really want to be part of your continual community. You know, it's interesting because pre-pandemic, affiliate programs didn't really exist for salon professionals. The way to purchase sort of professional beauty brands was really kind of old school. You bought it at the salon because the salons have always wanted sort of that exclusivity. So it was very antiquated in how they wanted you to purchase products. But I feel the pandemic kind of opened up the eyes of the salon industry to really put the power 
in the hands of the stylists. And I think most stylists hate to have to sell, but when there isn't sort of that pressure to sell, it happens organically. And I think the affiliate programs that sort of were born out of the pandemic were really powerful. I could not agree with you more. I mean, this is a good example of emotional relevance. If you look at the professional community, especially our hairdressers, I think they hear more stories about their clients' lives than a psychiatrist would. And yet, they don't get paid like a psychiatrist <laughs> gets paid. But because they are so empathetic in their own right, they understand what it means to really help their clients. And I always like to say this, you know, my CFO always calls the relationship between a hairstylist and their client is one of a doctor-patient relationship. And if you think about it, they are actually more powerful than doctors. Why? Because before I go into a hair salon, I'm not Googling all kinds of things, right? I will let my stylist tell me what to do, what products to use in my hair, and I listen to him or her. But when we go see a doctor, guess what? We are Googling all our symptoms. And the doctor is basically saying, stop, <laughs> just come see me and I'll diagnose you accordingly. So I feel like that emotional relevance, that emotional intelligence that the stylist exhibit really helped them through the pandemic on many levels because they understand while they were struggling, their clients were struggling too. It wasn't a chip on their shoulder to kind of say, I need all of the help. And you guys, you know, can just help me. It was, how do I help you as well? And the nimbleness and the ability for them to be empathetic has all worked in their favor and in our favor as well. Yeah, I think, you know, all those at-home color kits that stylists put together during the pandemic had consumers. I'm one of them. I couldn't wait to get back into the salon and not be in control of my own hair coloring. So if you think about it, there has been so many people going in after the pandemic for color correction. And that's the reason why the new appreciation for their stylists. And I think in May of 2020, less than three months on the lockdown, the New York Times did an article and asked and polled a lot of their readers and asked, what was one place that you don't want it to be the new normal? Because there was new normal of working from home new normal of working in a remote working culture, a hybrid system, new normal of becoming more aware of self-care and well-being. But everybody said the one place that they want to go back to was their hair salon because nobody wanted to go back to coloring their own hair, cutting their own bangs and making a mess of it and doing anything remotely that a hairstylist could do a hundred times better. I would say that among all beauty professionals, I never really realized how many human beings that are involved with me maintaining myself. Absolutely. It's a place where you always come out looking beautiful, feeling better about yourself. And that is priceless, right? That emotional sort of connection that you have and looking at yourself in the mirror and knowing that, wow, I can look like my best self. Pre-pandemic, Olaplex really was primarily a professional brand, and you had wildly loyal, and I mean, you have wildly loyal stylist followers. But even with the salons closed, your business grew, and you also expanded into more traditional consumer outlets. How did the business evolve during the pandemic, and how do you maintain sort of that salon 
consumer distribution balance because it's a tenuous one because professionals like to have sort of that exclusivity. So for Oloplex, what we have always recognized is that the community that we serve is the professional community. And this is why we have what we call our professional RX, our professional prescription products that only license hairstylists and hair professionals can buy from their distributor or their beauty supply stores with a license. And that what we call our back bar products. The retail products allows them to give their clients the opportunity for at-home care. And if you think about, especially in the U.S. and even globally in international, majority of the hairstylist community are what we call single payroll entity. And when you're a single payroll entity, it is very difficult for you to really generate awareness for yourself. So when Oloplex was able to make inroads into specialty retail and then also on our own oloplex.com and direct to consumer with Pure Place, what we did was we amplified the brand awareness to a point that people were going to their hair professionals and asking for that service by name. It is quite rare when you walk into a salon and you say, I want that Oloplex treatment. And when you get that kind of a ask, it helps the hair professional to make a better living, right? Now they are no longer selling. It is a balance of power where the consumers are coming in asking for the products. And so what Oloplex did very well was really looking at a synergistic, reinforcing omni-channel grounded by the professional that gives us the credibility, flanked by specialty retail that builds brand awareness, and direct-to-consumer, which includes our Oloplex.com, which gives us consumer insights and convenience for the consumer 24-7. The combination of these three channels essentially gave us that flywheel of communication marketing as well as community building. And I'll give you very specific data. 35% of our customers are referred to by our professional hairstylists. And 50% of our direct-to-consumer also buy at retail as well as at their hair professionals. And this truly indicate and amplify that our synergistic omni-channel is reinforcing, not only for the channels, but also for the professional community. Also, this omni-channel approach is sort of compounded by the growth in the premium hair care market. I mean, the hair care market is on fire right now. And Olaplex is, you know, I hate to use the word disruptor because it's so overused, but in the case of Olaplex, it's really appropriate because they created the bond building category. It didn't exist before Olaplex. But the brand's success fueled the emergence of this new category. And then, of course, the competition followed. So how does Olaplex maintain its competitive advantage in the hair category? Because bond building, now people understand what it is. Olaplex sort of defined the benefits and I guess the science of bond building. So there are lots of imitators. But, you know, Olaplex still stands out as the category leader. How do you maintain that? So great question, Kelly. But first and foremost, let me just kind of define what hair bonds are. Hair bonds are hair agnostic, meaning that you cannot tell the ethnicity of the individual, the gender, nor the age. So what I call that is foundational. If you want healthy hair, just like if you want healthy skin, you need to have a good foundation, a good canvas. And with us, 
by having that good foundation, it's like having a house. If you don't have a foundation, call off your architect and call off your interior designer. It's useless. So while we may have attracted competition because of creating the bond building category, and with our 103 global worldwide patterns, no one can make bond building claims. They can have bond building in their names. They can allude to the fact that they may have bond building benefits. But as soon as they infringe on our pattern, you know what we will do. We will defend it vigorously. And you've been very successful at it. <laughs> yes. And the reason why is we will never want to compromise the hair professional who uses this bond building technology in elevating their craft, right? If you think about it, before Oloplex, what happened? Every hair colorist was very nervous when they were going back to the sink and undoing the foils and seeing hair breakage from their clients. There is a reason why when you are in a hair salon, there's no mirror in front of the sink bowl because you will not want your client to see your face as you are undoing those foils. And what happened was with Oloplax, that fear was gone. All they were focusing on was elevating their artistry and their color artistry or their chemical you know, service artistry. When they did that, they knew the hair wasn't going to break. They knew the bond was going to be repaired, the hair bonds that is, and that it was going to be strengthened. And when you give the hair professional that kind of mastery, it is very difficult for the competition to really come and insert themselves. But what we welcome is competition that continues to develop products that truly deliver performance. Because now that you have a clean canvas and a great foundation, guess what? Whatever products that you're going to use on your hair is going to perform that much better. So we are leading, we are shaping, and we are defining the hair care industry. We also know it is but just the beginning. The total TAM for global hair care is $77 billion. And you've seen from our last earnings call, we just scratched the surface with $598 million. So there is so much room for ourselves and the competition that we feel like this category will continue to be on fire. Marketing is more specialized than ever. Shouldn't your marketing team reflect that? Stop trying to find a do-it-all marketer and hire subject matter experts. Marketer Hire has created a network of world-class marketers that are pre-vetted by the industry's top experts, and they're available on demand. Need to improve your advertising efforts? Hire a paid social or paid search marketer. Looking to solidify your brand and execute an email strategy that converts more customers? Hire a brand marketer and email marketer by next week. With Marketer Hire, it's easy and quick. Join brands like Netflix, BuzzFeed, Curology, Caraway at marketerhire.com. Olaplex is one of those products that it really has like cult-like status. You know, in the early days, it was really sort of word of mouth. There was the mystique of it being developed in a garage. It really sort of has that creme de la mer narrative when creme de la mer was one miracle cult cream. And it has insanely loyal professionals and consumers. It really has achieved the type of momentum that's the holy grail for indie beauty brands. And sometimes even when you have that momentum, it can be a little elusive. How do you harness that type of brand love to scale a business? 
Because it's one thing to kind of keep it going and get that initial hit and momentum, but sometimes it fades away. Absolutely. And this is a great question because this is something that all brands focus on and really want to give themselves the permission to always understand where the balance of power is. In our case, the community we serve is the community that we always want to stay true to. And so when we are creating and developing and innovating products, there is a continuous feedback loop that is from the community that loves and supports us. And then we take those into consideration when we are developing our innovations as well as testing our innovations, because we believe that real life testing is a lot better than having it just done in a very focused, what we call clinical setting. We obviously do make clinical claims that we will do and run qualitative and quantitative research and clinical support to support the claims that we make. But ultimately, the products that we develop and introduce or launch into the marketplace has to serve a purpose. And it has to serve the community that wants products of that nature from us. So keeping ourselves focused, making sure that science and technology is what leads us, and then ultimately providing it to the community that truly wants those products is the continuous cycle of keeping us focused, honest, and always delivering. Just to build on that a little bit, now that you are sort of in traditional retail, very often the formula for growth is predicated on newness, which on some level with all of the conversations we're having around sustainability, I feel like, I mean, maybe it's just me, but brand and product launches have sort of reached this fever pitch. I don't even know who's buying all this product anymore. For a relatively mature brand, Olaplex has a very tight skew assortment compared to competitors. I have to imagine this is completely intentional. So what is the philosophy that drives the cadence of new launches? Yeah, I mean, to build off my last answer, the way it is, is that every launch for us is an A launch. There's no such thing as a mediocre launch, right? And I also do believe that when you come at it with that kind of an attitude, it helps everyone in your team to really focus on being the best of the best. And so we built an arsenal of base formulas and finished goods formulas that is way out 2027, 2028, because we want to give ourselves the permission to look at products, whether we can pull them forward or delay them if we choose to. But we have announced to the street that every year we are looking at two to three new introductions and one of which is going to be the professional back bar, specifically for the professionals to use in their services. When you have that kind of a focus and that kind of a mission, and you're launching two products, retail and one pro a year, you have the luxury to really be the best that you can be. Because we are not dependent on newness to drive growth. We lean in on newness to showcase our innovation and our commitment to our community. I want to build a little bit more off of, you know, you mentioned culture a little bit. Olaplex started, as we said, in a garage in 2014, and last September was valued at $15 billion after a successful IPO. You know, the culture of a business is often not discussed enough relative to its success, I think. I read that when you joined the brand, you were employee 36, which relative to the brand's revenue seems like a pretty small team. Can you share a little bit about the Olaplex culture? 
Absolutely. And you know, you talked about hating to use the word disruptor. It is. I mean, like Oloplex disrupted every phase of business from the way we innovate, which is through crowdsourcing and really a continuous feedback loop, leaning on science and technology. We disrupted the way we distribute, where we are looking at going direct to our retailers to amplify our partnership, but using distributors and sub-distributors where we need to. And then really building our own Oloplex.com, where we not only help to educate, entertain, and do e-commerce, and then ultimately our work-from-home culture. The remote working culture, when we started in 2014, I can tell you, people probably thought, what was this all about, right? There was even conversations of building an office at some point. But when the pandemic hit, we became the leader in remote working culture. But everybody was talking how to get their team into a remote working space. We did not have to spend time talking about that. Instead, we were spending our energy and our calories in trying to help our community be better served. So I think on many levels, the culture of the company is one of can-do, that nimbleness is a criteria to be successful, and that while we are building structure and discipline, we know that we always want to put on that entrepreneurial hat because that is what defines us. And we actually do a cultural survey every year since I've been there. So in 2020, we did one at the end of 2020. We did another one in February of 2021. And we just recently finished one in 2022. And as we reported in our last earnings call, we have now about 106 people. When we did the first cultural survey when I joined in 2020, or rather at the end of 2020, there were about 60 of us. And then there was about 80 some of us. And now it's 106 of us. In each of the successive cultural survey, we have better participation and well over 90% said that feel like this is a great place for them to work and they see themselves reflected in the environment. And so I am very fortunate that we are hiring people that want to be part of who we are and that we provide the opportunity for them to be successful in their own capacity. So I think the cultural piece of it is very important, not only to myself, but to everyone in the organization, because culture is not mandated or legislated. Culture is part of the company's and the individual's DNA. And we are really very much about doing that and promoting that. And having a head of HR that is such a people person also is very helpful because our head of HR, Heather Harper, really constantly reminds me as a leader that it's not just about driving growth at the expense of people, but you really have to drive growth because of the people. I think another thing that culture sort of derives from is ESG initiatives. They've become top of mind during the pandemic, the requisite, I think, in businesses today. Some of them kind of feel like people are going through the motions, but the ones that are an extension of the brand's DNA and the business's culture are the ones that I think are sort of make the most profound impact. Can you share a little bit about your criteria for these sorts of initiatives at Olaplex? Yeah, so let me start off, you know, and ESG is a really hot topic. And I think, you know, a lot of people are looking into that and knowing and realizing it's no longer a nice to have, it's a must have. But if you look at Oloplex, even right from the beginning, before ESG was such a sought after acronym, if you look at our mix of our employees and our community, 
PBA has noted that 80% of the professional community identify themselves as female, and 41% identify themselves as racial minorities. At Oloplex, 77% of our employees identify as female, and 46% are racial minorities. If you think about that, when people say, mirror the community that you serve, we are actually mirroring that. Right? If you look at our board composition, 82% of us are female and 18% are racial minorities. So it really speaks to you that we put our money where our mouth is. That is in terms of governance. When you look at our environmental footprint, Oloplex right from the get-go in 2014 has made it a point not to put boxes in their primary packaging. No secondary packaging wherever possible. And when we do have one, it's because it is a set for the back bar, which is for the professional, or because the product is so small in terms of its primary packaging that the compliance documents and the callouts cannot be on that primary. It has to be on a box. But I've always been very proud of Oloplex. Since 2015, when we started measuring up to the end of December 2021, we can document from an independent paper board through an independent environmental network that as a company, we have saved about 35 million pounds of greenhouse gas from being emitted into the environment, 57 million gallons of water from being wasted, and 44,000 trees from being deforested. What does 35 million pounds of greenhouse gas mean? It means 40 million miles of carbon emissions from gasoline-powered vehicles is not being emitted to the environment. 57 million gallons of water represents a full year supply of water for an average household in America of up to 5,000 average American households. When we are able to document that, I actually feel that if the beauty industry would all select one product from their line and not use a box, the impact to the environment is immediate. We do not have to pledge something in 2030, 2040. While we will still pledge because we are part of you know, the whole program called EcoVadas, but I truly believe that if we can all do that, think of the impact that we can do for on our carbon footprint. Because sometimes I feel badly that if I pledge something all the way to 2030, I may be pledging for my team that is not even situated yet. So if I can do what I can do now, that will be so much more powerful than what I can do in the future. Because the future will take care of itself if we can do what we can do now. So ESG to us is second nature because to us, if we cannot do what we want and what we can, where we can do well and do good, then when are we going to get there? As you have mentioned, we already have iconic status. Let's use the reach and influence that we have to do better. I think that's the most amazing thing about brands that have reached the status that you have. When you all of a sudden change that and use it to do good, it is incredibly powerful. And it also provides a standard for other people to follow as well. I hope so. I mean, we don't profess, you know, to be the most influential or the most rich. I mean, we are still a small company by all counts. But what we really want to do is to be able to set an example for big, small companies to kind of say, it can be done. You know, if we did that starting in 2015, measuring it and really started from our inception, why can't everybody does the same? 
So I'd love to end on a personal note, if that's okay. Yes. You know, you are such an inspiration as a leader, and I intentionally avoid the female descriptor because I believe you're a powerhouse that should not be defined by gender. I think that you could go toe-to-toe with any male CEO in the beauty industry. While it's getting there and things have definitely gotten better, there are still not enough women in leadership positions in the beauty industry, especially considering that it's an industry that serves women. For all those female CEOs in the making, can you share some of the lessons that you've learned? Thank you for the question. And I just want to preface it by saying nobody should want to be like me. Everybody should want to be like themselves because I think I have been very fortunate. I have mentors that have helped me along and I have people that believed in me because as CEO, I have the authority, right? But for trust and respect, they have to be earned. So I always feel that for me to continue to do what I do and I'm still learning is that I always have to be mindful where that balance of power is. The balance of power is not in my hands. It's in the hands of the people that supports me. And I am always reminded of this saying on a bomber jacket that I saw not too long ago that says that the power of the people is greater than all the people in power. And I'm always reminded of that because I serve at the pleasure of the people. And the day that I don't deliver on what they need and want from me is the day that I retire. Is there anything that you've changed kind of looking back at sort of your first CEO role to sort of how you lead today? I know there was one example that I read in an interview that at some point in your career, no one knew you were married. No one knew you had a child. Like you really compartmentalized your life because you felt like you had to. And that's exactly, you know, where I came from. But I think my first CEO role was one of where I need to go back and apologize to everybody (laughs) because I probably was impossible. I thought that I needed to know everything and did everything. But really, as a leader of any organization, your job is not to do everyone's job better because you can't even if you tried. Your job and my job as CEO is really to allow people to do their job bigger and better. And how do you do that? You facilitate You push people to do more than what they think they can and then provide a net for them if they fall. Because you cannot push someone to the edge and tell them to jump if they do not know there is a safety net for them. So for me, over the years, this is what I have learned. If you hire the best people to do the work, let them do it. Of course, sometimes it's easier said than done. I tend to be very typical Asian. I still tend to helicopter around, (laughs) you know, my people, my children. But at the same time, I also realize I cannot grow myself if I don't let everyone grow as well. Well, Joy, thank you so much for taking the time. And also, you know, you are one of the CEOs in the industry that really makes the time not only to speak to media outlets, but participation in industry organizations and really sort of moving the industry forward. So thank you for making the time and making the industry a better place. Well, thank you, Kelly, for having me. I mean, you have more power in your hands than I would ever have. I mean, you meet with industry titans and thank you for giving me a platform to at least share the little that I have. And I will always appreciate that opportunity. Thank you, Jui. Hi, I'm Jui Wong. And for me, it's a matter of technology. And the reason why I choose that word 
is because technology will help us build a stronger community. For Jue, it's a matter of technology. Leading the cult beauty brand that created the bomb building category through COVID and a $1.6 billion IPO that valued the brand at $15 billion, Jue leans on technology, long-term thinking, and the culture of team. Everything from navigating chaos to maintaining a competitive advantage to people problems, Modern organizations require diversity in thinking, ideas, and perspectives to uncover creative and innovative solutions to the layers of complicated challenges we face. So in the end, it's a matter of technology. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. If you like what you heard, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.